Uh, welcome to the Mahogany Tower, where we talk about faith, we talk about science, and we talk about sociocultural identity. Um, it's April, and um, I actually got my uh, COVID vaccine dose one today. So if I'm weirder than usual, that might have a little bit to do with it, although explicitly and officially, weirdness isn't necessarily a side effect. Um, I probably shouldn't joke about that because I know people are like very apprehensive. I actually feel fine. I'm just kind of cold. So I have a little bit of chills, but in general, I feel good. So anyway, it's April um, and yeah, the weather is changing and 2021 is kind of progressing. Uh, but today for uh, the Mahogany Tower, we're doing something a little bit different. Now, if you've been familiar with our work, you know that every so often I do something called a spotlight. And those are really important because I'm an advanced degree student, I'm a PhD student, um, and I'm also Black, and the racial disparities in higher education are absolutely staggering. And they exist, right, at every level of higher education. They exist at the bachelor's level, and at the master's level, it's even worse. And at the doctoral level, it's abysmal for many, 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 many reasons that I don't even have time to get into right now. And so I do these spotlights to have the opportunity to uh, interview uh, Black or Hispanic or Native American students ha that have achieved great success uh, simply by virtue of getting admitted into an advanced degree program, whether it's medicine or law or pharmacy or um, a PhD program or uh, a doctor of physical therapy and so on and so forth. Simply getting admitted to any of these programs is a huge deal, but I love to do these spotlights. So um, other aspiring uh, students that are racial minorities kind of have that inspiration and have that vision and uh, see people that are doing some of the things that they wanna do, right? So you kind of know that it's possible. Um, I usually put these on my website, but I wanna step into the 21st century. People have been kind of telling me for a while that I should uh, bring guests, right? And I think today and even moving forward, I have a perfect opportunity to do that. So I have an amazing friend of mine who's actually a physician and I'm doing a spotlight on her. So I'll let her introduce herself and we'll jump right into um, our spotlight. All right. Well, thanks for the awesome introduction. Um, so my name is Onyinye Anosike. Um, the Onine means um, God's gift, but I just tell people to call me Onye for short. Um, I was born in America. I left when I was eight years old back to Nigeria. I completed my um, elementary school, middle school, and high school, which was boarding school over there for me. Came back at 16 to America for college. I went to Rutgers University in Newark. And then um, I did a post-bac program at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. And then I got into medical, medical school there as well um, at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. And I recently found that I matched OB-GYN, yay, um, at um, <laughs> Lehigh Valley Health Network in, um, in Allentown, PA. That's Interesting. Me. So, I mean, there are a couple of things in there that I, and you, you've told me that story in the past, but there are some things in there that I kind of missed maybe the first time around. Where is your family right now? Are they still in Nigeria or are they still, or, or are they in the States now? They're in the States now. So we all kind of moved 
um, initially when I turned, when I was eight years old, we all like moved down to Nigeria mm-hmm. and then we would all complete our high school. So when we were all done with high school, like individually, then we would come back to America for college and for the rest of our higher education. Um, so my mom stayed there for a number of years while I was up here, like while I was in America. But um, she recently came back, let's say like four or five years ago, um, after my brother completed his high school in Nigeria. Now you've mentioned this previously, but <laughs> in, uh, in keeping with Nigerian tradition, it sounds like you're from a family that has quite a few people working in medicine or healthcare. Yeah, so... I guess so. Just my my dad is an optometrist. My um, my sister, the one immediately above me, she's also an optometrist. Um, and then my oldest sister, though, is a lawyer. Um, she was definitely persuaded to pursue medicine, though. But um, she knew that it wasn't for her when she just could not. She's like, I don't like these courses. I don't have any like desire to study them, and I don't. And I just keep on failing them. So um, she actually. Um, started taking like um, like uh, courses for law school without my parents' knowledge, and then I was actually the one that like snitched on her. Um, but, you know. <laughs> it needed to be done. Like you know, my mom was mad for a little bit, but eventually, when she became a lawyer, everybody was all good. So it's so funny because I mean, and I, I know we're being facetious, but like. I feel like most American parents would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so proud of like my, uh, you know, my daughter or my son taking these courses to kind of go to law school and stuff like that. But I feel like the pressure is so strong in Nigerian families and with Nigerian parenting. And I think even just African immigrant families in general, there's like this expectation to be a physician for, I mean, again, reasons that kind of transcend our conversation, but um it seems like that was a theme for you as well. And even kind of sharing about my own family, like it's not that different. My dad's a physician, my sister's a physician, and then my brother's a physician as well. Um, my other brother's an engineer and, you know, that's kind of in keeping with the Nigerian tradition too. But man, you have four doctors in your family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, when you think about it, that's true. <laughs> Okay, so that's that's really, really impressive. Um, so suffice to say, you probably kind of caught wind of the whole science thing pretty early on, kind of being surrounded by all these people in science or maybe wanting to be science or would later do science. Like, wh- when did you start taking interest in, I don't know, biology, chemistry, like all the physiological stuff? Um, okay, so I don't think I was ever really interested in physics or the chemistry um, but I was interested in biology, the way our bodies worked. Um, and I don't know if I was interested in that because, you know, I, I went to work with my dad a couple times and kind of saw the work that he did. Um, so I think that was my first kind of exposure to medicine. But I think I really started getting into science or biology when um, I moved to Nigeria and um, my dad would bring home all these books for, um, you know, for Christmas when he came down. And one of the books he brought was Gifted Hands um, by Ben Carson. And it just outlines, um, it's like a memoir of a black neurosurgeon's kind of journey to and then through medicine. And I've heard that book is like a really big deal. 
Yeah, it's a really big deal. <laughs> like, it's crazy because I never heard about that book until like maybe two or three years ago, or I think maybe when he did his presidential run, right. people started to talk about it a lot more. But up until like three or four years ago, I'd never heard of that book before. <laughs> it's crazy. I grew up on that book. So yeah, he, I think he was really my inspiration for wanting to become a doctor. I was like, oh my gosh, this man does so many amazing things with just his two hands. I want to be like that. Interesting. Um, yeah. And a little bit gross, but like I started like, so there would be like dead like frogs or like lizards on our compound and I would like go outside and like open them up and like see what was inside and I was just very curious about all of that <laughs> stuff so <laughs> so <laughs> that was me playing surgeon at my young age <laughs> but yeah. now you, did you have thoughts about going I don't want to say the eye route but like optometry versus like I guess, non-optometry forms of medicine? Like, at, did you did you oscillate between those two options? I thought about it because, I mean, if I did decide to pursue um, like optometry or ophthalmology, which would be kind of the being able to like, um, so being able to perform surgery and that kind of thing, um, I would be able to take over my dad's business and even do more than he does right now. But then... I got into medical school and I was like, I don't, I don't really care about the eye. Like <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a small part of the body. It doesn't really interest me. I don't care. So yeah, that was kind of like my first, like, let's say like semester of just kind of being exposed to the different parts of the, like this different systems of the body. I was like, yeah, no, this isn't for me. So yeah. So I, I want to ask you about college but but even before I do that I want to ask about boarding school um now you know I'm Nigerian as well which which you know but in the states boarding school is like very very uncommon and I mean honestly the only people who do boarding school in the U.S. are rich wealthy kind of the elite top one percent of you know households and families and stuff like that but in Nigeria, and I think maybe even across Africa, like boarding school is a lot more common. So can you talk a little bit about that experience of boarding school? And I just want to make sure I'm not losing anything in terms of terms and language. And I want to make sure that I kind of have the picture of what school was like for you in Nigeria. Like, were you being sent off to this school that was kind of away from home? Were you staying in this school? Were you with other students? Like, what was that experience like going to a boarding school? So, yeah, I was definitely sent off or away from home. Um, it was, I think it was like a two-hour drive from where we lived in Nigeria. Is that the structure of like higher education in Nigeria? Because I find that's very, very, very common for my friends who like immigrate to the States. Like most of them did boarding school in Nigeria before coming to the U.S. I think it's definitely a lot more common than day school is. Um, so day school is, you're, you are in, um, so it's called secondary school is considered high school in Nigeria. Um, so you are in secondary school, but you are kind of, you know, going from home. And that's usually if you can't afford like room and board. So you can't afford to like live on campus. But I think for the most part, people um, parents choose to send their kids off to boarding school because, you know, they think it breeds some kind of like character or whatever. Um, so, yeah, most people, I think, if they can afford it, send their kids off to boarding school. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you feel like that was a positive experience for you, like being away from family and kind of being fully immersed in education and kind of spending that time with your classmates and teachers and instructors and stuff like that? Uh, that's such a hard question. Um, I guess, yes. Like if I take a step back and I really look at, okay, like what did boarding school do for me and, you know, what kind of character have I built because of it? I would say, yes, it's made me more independent. Um, You know, yes, it's made me kind of, it's given me more grit, I guess, because, um, you know, I left when I was 11 years old um, to go to boarding school. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, so, and then you just kind of thrust into like, you know, dealing with different people from different backgrounds and different characters. And like, I mean, I know we talk about like high school girls being mean, but like secondary school girls in Nigeria, (laughs) (laughs) it's just a whole different ballgame. Like I I was lucky enough to be like, I had originally come from America, so I still had an accent. So like I could kind of fit in with the cool crowd or whatever. But if I hadn't, oh my gosh, it would have been a terrible, terrible time for me. Um, Everybody was in like different cliques, you know, there were the rich kids, there were the like middle class, there was um, like the government school kids or whatever. Um, So it it could be very isolating in that sense. And I think, and then I got made fun of a lot because of my accent, because I had an American accent, even though people would then try to copy my accent. It was just a weird situation. Um, And then let's see, um, I think... One of the, I guess, most difficult um, things about being in boarding school is just being away from, like, your parents, so, like, your mom. Um, I can only imagine that would be difficult for someone who's, like, 10, 11, 12 years old. Like, hey, just go off with these people that you don't really know and be a student and I'll see you on holiday. Exactly. And do well. And all that stuff. <laughs> be at the top of your class. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so there was always this kind of like, you know, at least for me, I always had to perform better than ever, everyone else. I felt like I did because um, we had like what they would call visiting day. So your parents would come see you and then they would look at your grades and like, you know, some if you did very very well like your parents would give you extra things like more food or more you know what I mean and that was kind of like how much food you had was kind of like it like brought up your status almost in a sense like oh wow like she got food from like this fancy place in like um we stayed in Abuja at the time in Abuja so um you know so it just kind of it like elevated you among your peers and you know at the time it's like that was what was important looking you know saving face in front of um in front of your peers so yeah it was a very um interesting time and then you had to deal with the bullies too like the the girls who wanted you to fetch their water for them before classes started you don't have to beat me up i'm not fetching nobody's water i ain't no so yeah luckily i had sisters um older sisters so they were in a couple classes uh, above me and um they so they had seniors who were their friends and so if I chose not to do something like I remember, yeah, there was one time where I was like, no, I'm not getting water for you. And then she was like, kneel down. And then I was just like, I'm not. (laughs) And then I was (laughs) 
disrespectful. You can't. There he is. <laughs> and I was like, no, I'm not kneeling down. And I had my hand on my hip. And she was like, she was, she was like, you're so disrespectful. Why are you standing like that with your hands on your hip? Blah, blah, blah. And then my sister came in the room and she brought like a senior with her. And then um, the senior talked to the senior and then I was allowed to go. Um, but yeah, that was the only reason. If I didn't have older sisters, it would have been, yeah, I would have been punished. I would have been just continuously bullied. So I'm lucky in that regard. Man, I'm a nerd and I'm like very much interested in kind of class and intergroup relations and, and culture. And so part of me very much has like a litany of questions to ask <laughs> you about boarding school, but I'm going to table that for another time. Um, you graduate, you finish school in Nigeria, um, and you end up at Rutgers. So I'm curious, like, did you apply to a lot of different schools? Like, how did you end up landing at Rutgers in New Jersey? So at the time, my sister, um, my, my older, the, the sister, um, right above me, she, um, was at Kane University, which is also in Jersey. It's like me, it's in Union, New Jersey, which is like, 40 minutes from Newark. So she knew about Rutgers. And then my mom had like friends who also knew about like Rutgers, New Jersey, and how it's a good school in New Jersey, blah, blah, blah. So um, when I was applying, I think my parents wanted me to stay close to home. So they told me to apply to Rutgers and to, um, you know, just schools that like were around here and then to a couple of reach schools. So um, yeah, when I applied, then I got into Rutgers, Newark, and that's kind of how I ended up there. So you're a freshman at Rutgers, and I guess presumably you haven't been in the U.S. for a couple of years at this point because you were doing boarding school in Nigeria. So how was the transition? How was the culture shock? Like, how did you end up landing on, you know, your major and all of those, those kind of things? Yeah, so I decided on my major because... I knew that I wanted to pursue medicine, but I you also English, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I majored in English. Um, okay. But because I knew that I could major in whatever I wanted to and still pursue medicine, I was like, you know, why not major in something fun? And I also wanted to write my mom's memoir, so I was like, why not major in something fun and also something that'll give you the skills to, you know, do something else, which is write my mom's memoir. Um, and then, you know, still take the science courses you need to take to take the MCAT, which is kind of like your entrance exam to medical school. So I decided to do that. Um, as far as uh, like the, the transition, um, I don't think it was, it wasn't like a culture shock in terms of like, oh, people are speaking like a different language or like I can't really understand what people are saying because I was lucky enough that I had lived here, um, you know, at least until I was eight years old. So um, I didn't have a problem with the accent for the most part. Um, I think people could hear an accent when I talked, but they could still understand what I was saying. So I didn't really have much of a problem transitioning in that sense. Um, I think a lot of the um, shock was, oh, gosh, um, I'm on my own, and I don't really know how to do these things. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like, I don't know how to, like, all these immunizations they're asking for. Like, you know, when you, <laughs> like, what, where do I even get this? Like, how do you register classes again? Like, I don't, like, I just didn't know how to do the things. And I don't know if this is something you just kind of learn as you're in college or somebody kind of walks you through. Um, but yeah, I think that was kind of the biggest, um, like, shock for me and then like even like what do I take to college like where do I shop for all of the things I need for college like what clothes will I wear um is there a uniform you know so (laughs) 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 yeah so I think uh those those are the difficult um um, yeah, because I, again, boarding school, I'd lived with people like, you know, so living in a, a room with different girls wasn't like an issue for me because I'd done that already. Um, yeah, so that part wasn't wasn't the shocker. So you're at college and I think one of the major selling points of college is, you know, all these extracurricular activities that you kind of uh, have the opportunity to participate in to kind of offer you professional support, social support, emotional support. Uh, so I'm just curious, was that like a big feature of your undergraduate experience? Were there any student organizations that you were a part of for students that were in medicine or women in STEM or anything um, along those lines to kind of complement all these things that you're kind of learning in the classroom? Right. So I, I wish I had learned about, um, we had, there was like a pre-med group. There was also a STEM group, but I think I learned about these groups like later on, um, maybe like my junior year of college. And that's, I don't know if that's because I was an English major. So a lot of my courses and a lot of the people that I, you know, interacted with were um, people in the arts. Um, So a lot of the groups I was part of, like I was part of um, this group is called the Scarlet Magazine. So it's basically like a magazine for Rutgers. Um, And I had the opportunity to like write, which is something I already enjoyed doing. So that was just like a fun group for me to join. And then I was also part of OAS, um, Organization of African Students. And and that was fun because, you know, it, it allowed me to kind of talk to people that I had, you know, grown up with, essentially, like I was very familiar with, um, with Nigeria. So it was nice to kind of be surrounded by people who um, had an accent, who talked like me, you know what I mean? Who kind of had had the same upbringing as I had had. So Rutgers have like a large West African community? Um, not like crazy large, but it was it was a decent sized. Um, yeah, it was a decent sized group, I would say. Yeah. <clears throat> and then um, what else did I join? I think I think, oh, um, yeah, later on, one of my friends, um, he started this group called Project Dental um, Africa. And so, um, again, that was also just like, you know, no brainer for me to join because it was an opportunity to get like dental um, materials to kids in African countries that needed it. So, um, yeah, so those were kind of the organizations that I was drawn to and that I joined. So I have to ask... um... Because, you know, I kind of engage with some of this research and literature now. So uh, you are a Black woman in STEM at Rutgers, right? And so just kind of thinking about this from, and you kind of know the research that I do, right? So I study identity and, you know, all these, uh, how people from different identity groups engage and interact with one another. 
in light of things like prejudice, stereotypes, all other kind of stuff, right? Um, so thinking about this, I, I'm, I'm just reminded of <laughs> all the research that we have concerning um, stereotypes and discrimination in the area of STEM um, and thinking about not just the racial disparities, right? Like, you know, uh, black and Hispanic students being discriminated against in STEM and kind of all the stereotypes that they're up against, but also women, right? Women of all kind of racial and ethnic backgrounds because STEM as a whole, that's biology, that's chemistry, that's physics, that's, um, you know, engineering, math, kind of that entire conglomerate of like uh, area of study, it's like overwhelmingly like male. Yeah. And yeah. so I'm wondering like, and nobody really tells you that when you're an undergraduate student, I think you just kind of figure it out. So I'm wondering if that was kind of something that you noted or observed um, while you were doing these classes in biology and chemistry and, or, you know, or, organic chemistry and stuff like that. And at what point that kind of um, like was brought to your attention? Right. Um, okay. So I did notice just kind of, you know, taking a step back and observing my class that there were definitely a lot more males in our science classes or pursuing medicine than there were females. And even amongst like our, cause we had a little like African group of like people going into medicine. And even amongst that group, it was what, like two girls and the rest of them were guys, right? So um, there was definitely a um, gender um, disparity in that sense. But I can't say that I ever felt like I couldn't like achieve so I couldn't become a doctor because I was a woman you know like or I am a woman um I can't say that I ever thought like you know what this might limit me from you know pursuing this um career um I will say though that when I thought about um going into surgery and specifically uh, like any other surgical field actually other than OB-GYN I was terrified because I knew that there would just be a lot of a lot of like, you know, boys club, all yeah, that. Progressions, exclusion. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I was like, I don't, it's like, can I deal with it? Yeah, but do I want to deal with it in, you know, in a period of my life where like, because residency by nature is already difficult. Do I want to, you know, add also that, um, you know, boys club mentality to residency as well? Not really. And so, I think even when I was thinking about specialties, um, some specialties were kind of lower on my list because I thought about how much- What specialties were you considering? Um, so I was considering general surgery. Um, okay. I was really just all the surgical specialties that you can think of. So um, ENT, um, definitely not neurosurgery. What is ENT? Um, so ears, um, ears, nose, and throat. Oh, okay, 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 got it. Yeah. Um, plastic surgery sounded cool, you know, so all of that, but I was just like, yeah, I just think that there would be so much, it would be such an uphill battle and I already have kind of things that are against me. So let me not, you know, so, yeah, yeah. so I will say that's kind of how it played a part in my life. Yeah. And I mean, it's very well studied. There's still, um, you know, we talk about all the progress women have kind of made over the last 15, 20, 30, 40 years. 
in various domains of kind of progress, one of them being education and work and women are becoming managers and CEOs and all these things. I think one thing that people tend not to think about quite as much is there is like a ton of segregation in the labor market. And that's not just racial segregation, because usually when we think of segregation, we think of black people and white people, we think of race, but there's still a ton of segregation in the labor market, even within occupations like medicine. And so I was looking at this data a couple of months ago for another project. And as you would imagine, fields like surgery don't have very many women. The yeah. fields that have the largest you know, uh, distribution of women or the largest representation of women are uh, pediatrics and OBGYN and kind of other fields that are kind of closer to that. And from a social science perspective, that's kind of consistent with what we would expect, right? So women go into medicine and they can work with kids. That's what pediatric pediatrics kind of represents, or they can work with the female reproductive process, broadly speaking. And so that's kind of another major discipline, but it's, it's, I mean, you kind of spoke to it already. Like you can <laughs> work in any field that you want to. The question is, what are you willing to put yeah. up with and what are you willing to expose yourself to? And that's, that's something that, uh, you know, minorities regularly have to think about. Yeah, that's how I, I mean, that's part of the reason why ob felt like a better fit for me. So you finish from Rutgers. Now, did you plan on going straight to medical school or were you going to do a gap year? Like what was kind of your plan and your thought process? So I was going to take a gap year because, so mind you, I, I was still very young when I graduated from college. So I hadn't even turned 21 yet because I started when I was 16. So that's when um, you graduated from boarding school in Nigeria? Yeah. When I was 16. Yeah. You know, I found that a lot of places in the world, that's how their education prior to college works. I remember I was in the Philippines and everybody in the Philippines, like they all graduated when they were 16 too, and they finished <laughs> college when they were 20. And I was like, to me, that seems unusual, but yeah. for a lot of places in the world, that's, that's when you finish school. So that's perfectly normal. So <laughs> you kind of change settings. You go from Nigeria to the US yeah. and you start in US higher education when you're 16 and then you finish when you're 20? Yeah, finish when I'm 20, yeah. So um, I still had some time you know, to think through things um, or Actually, I told my dad I was going to take time to think through things. He wasn't very happy about that. He wanted um, you to go straight? Sorry, what did you say? He wanted you to go straight? Yeah, he did. But I chose not to. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared. I didn't feel prepared, you know, in, um, in undergrad because I didn't feel like I had, you know, proper guidance or mentorship on, like, how to do the things. So, like, um, you know, volunteer here because this will look good on your application or um you know if you didn't do well in this science course um here's another course you can take to boost your science gpa just things like that i feel like no one ever told me or like i just wasn't aware enough to ask the right questions or to know who to ask the right the right questions to or even to even think like maybe i should be asking somebody about this and it seems so silly now but it's like I, I mean, I don't think now I know that like I really can't do anything without like, you know, talking to a group of people about like, hey, what should be my next steps and just kind of getting like a general sense of like, what I should be doing and then formulating a plan on my own. So I chose to use that year after college to do that and also to take my MCAT. 
Okay. Um, so I, I took the MCAT twice. So I took it um, the first time and my score was just trash. I was like, oh God, I, I can't show anyone this. So- um, Can I ask a follow-up <laughs> question about that? Yeah, go ahead. Because I know like people in medicine, people in these advanced degrees, like a lot of us have just ridiculously high standards. So sometimes we say like trash and I just got to ask like trash by like what standard? Are we looking at like a percentile or is this like a standard that you set for yourself? Like what, what, what was a good score to you in that moment? So a good score at the time was like a tw- 26, 27, 28, those were good, decent scores. And I got like way less than that. So yeah, so it just, it was trash because no school would look at it and like accept me into their medical school essentially. So um, I decided to, you know, take a couple months um, like studying. I did like a Kaplan course to take, to retake the exam. And I took it the second time and then I got a decent enough score that I could apply. Um, to medical school with. Um, so I applied, um, didn't get in. And then uh, I can't, I can't remember the number, maybe like 50. Um, really? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a good, I know it wasn't Common like an application or did you have to pay all those application fees? Like what the heck? 50 schools. <laughs> so I think you have to pay the, if I can remember correctly, I think there is a common application fee. And then for some schools, you have to pay like the secondary application fee. So some schools- They charge you twice to reject you? (laughs) Dang, they're breaking in bank. Yeah, medical school is a business. (laughs) That's funny. But I know a lot of these programs have like what, like a 2% acceptance rate, 3% acceptance rate is like ridiculously low or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It is. And it's crazy because if I'm not mistaken, it's like that across the board from like the most selective medical school to like, I don't want to say the least selective, but like the more lax programs, like it's hard to get into all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Like there's like no easy medical school to get into. They're all difficult. Some of them more difficult than others. It's hard to get into any of them. Exactly. And I guess it's also the, the, the number of students applying to medical school too. So it's true. There's a, you know, it, it's funny. Cause uh, my, my, my older brother and sister. So what did my brother do? I think my brother did biology and then my sister did like neuroscience or microbiology, something like that. But like, you know, they designed these college courses, the bio one, the bio two and stuff like that to be super rigorous because they're like, look, some of you guys want to be physicians. And honestly, some of you probably shouldn't be physicians. And you'll (laughs) probably know by the first exam (laughs) which camp you might fall in. And so like even for people who kind of make it all the way through and graduate and stuff like that, I'm I'm guessing a lot of these medical schools are of the school of thought like, nah, some of you guys can't or shouldn't be positions like we just we don't really feel good about that wait the students who actually get into medical school you mean no because I mean I'm guessing if you get like I don't know maybe uh 800 applications and you plan on admitting like 80 or 50 or I don't know how big these classes are you're probably thinking many of you are strong candidates but some of you guys like nah we we just we don't really (laughs) feel good about it's it's a gate it's a gatekeeping feature and it's a gatekeeping uh measure because they do the exact same thing with PhD programs it's like look (laughs) like all of you probably shouldn't be PhD students or at least not at this institution. And so they kind of, they keep a lot of people out. So there's a lot of inequality kind of built into that. And I mean, that's kind of, it's unfortunate society works that way, but like 
Yeah. These are the systems that we have. And, you know, we kind of- We got to work within it. You got to work within it. That's, that's <laughs> kind of what it is. So you applied to 50 schools. Things didn't necessarily work out. So how are you feeling in that moment? Like, how do you bounce back after like in an unsuccessful cycle like that? Well, I'll tell you, I did not bounce back right away. Um, that's real. <laughs> um, so it took like, I think- a year before I, or, or I should say, so after I took it the second time, um, or after I applied rather, um, and I didn't get in, I was just kind of like, okay, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know, because I'm like, I need to get into medical school. This is what I want. There is no other alternative path for me. Um, I can't, I can't conceive of doing anything else. Um, so this, I just, I just don't know what to do. And so I remembered, um, one of my cousin's, um, friends actually was a resident at the time. So I think either he contacted me or I contacted him and basically asked me like, so how's like, you know, the medical school process going? And I kind of just shared like where I was at, like I had applied and I didn't get in and I didn't really know what to do. Um, and he was like, okay, so do you really want this? And I was like, yes. He's like, are you, do you, are you going to do anything, whatever it takes? And I was like, yes. And then, um, he was like, okay, you have a couple of options. Um, there is Caribbean medical schools, there's, um, like DO medical schools. And there's also like, um, you can consider like a master's program or like a post -bac program. And some of these post -bac programs, if you do well enough, they will like give you an interview in their, um, to their medical school. So, um, after like doing my own research, I applied to like maybe four or five of these like post -bac programs that were attached to like their own medical schools. And I got into the post -bac program at LECOM. Where does LECOM? Just so we're on the same page. You said, where is it? No, like what, like what's the, that's an acronym, right? The like, full name, right? Yeah. I'm just used to, <laughs> sure. So it's at Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine. Okay. Lake Erie College of Osteopathic Medicine in LECOM. Got it. Yeah. And so mind you, so as I'm trying to, you know, figure out or apply to these post-bac programs and figure out kind of what route to take. Um, I'm working as a butler in the city and I'm living at home with my parents. And so- Wait, 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 wait. Did you say as a butler? Yeah, as a butler. I didn't know like that was a thing. That's a thing. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay, so you're, so you're, you're, you're a butler. So I just, I'm thinking of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? So like- <laughs> Yeah, we had to definitely wear, like dress similar to that. No. So I'm guessing there's like, the maintenance piece of being a butler but is there also like the culinary piece or did you have to do one versus the other or both like what i mean i've never met somebody who's been a butler before <laughs> um i didn't have to do the culinary part thank goodness okay. um so our job was just to basically we were like um an upscale or like an elevated like waiter slash slash waitress kind of thing you know so um, the way we served our drinks, it was just very, it was, you know, everything was ordered and, in, you know, done in a very specific way. Um, even the way we like served food, um, like from the, I've even, yeah, served from the right, clear from the left. Um, so we served food in a very specific way. We were in charge of someone's house. No, this was like, it. Not, you know, we weren't usually in people's houses. We were like, so um, 
the Metropolitan Museum of Art in the city. They had a lot of, they would host a lot of events there. So we would um, be butlers for those kind of events, like big banquets, um, like parties kind of events. Man, people in New York got stupid money, man. <laughs> like, what the heck? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. Let me, let me get to a place in my life where I'm like, I'm going to throw a really big party. And you know what I want to have? I'm going to go find some butlers because that that's that's going to like set it off. It was a big thing from like, I think there were certain months that it was really booming, like from like September. You know, like, yeah, from like September to like um, January, I think it was like, it's pretty big. So we had a lot of parties, so. It was good money. Um, so I'm sorry. I just, I got, you said Butler and I got distracted. And so now I got to figure out what we were talking about before. So you're, you're, you're applying to post-bac programs at, while you're also working as a Butler and you're trying to weigh out options. Right. Exactly. So, um, yeah, and I'm living at home with my parents and my dad is just not very supportive. Um, he, he essentially is like, yeah, like, what are you doing with your life? Like, you know, your sisters are just going to, like, surpass you. They're just going to end up doing so much better than you. Um, he's like... Dad, Nigerian parents got no chill. <laughs> they really don't. He's like, he's like, you know, medicine isn't the only career um, choice. Like, choose something else. Do something else. But you just can't be sitting here. Dang. And I'm so confused because I'm like, I'm not just sitting here. I, like, go to work. Like, you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I, you know, it was, it was a really dark time because I had to deal with him not believing in me. And then also like working that job, I think I worked as a butler for about a year. And, um, so I, so uh, usually a lot of people that work that job, they're like, um, people in, um, like the arts industry. So they're either, they're like actors or like they work. Um, they're actors or actresses, or they're in just some kind of like, you know, they're just in the artsy scene, essentially. Um, so, and, you know, they're just trying to like, like they're working to catch their big break, that kind of thing, because um, it's expensive to live in the city. So you got to be doing something while you're kind of working your actor, or actress job or whatever. Um, so I was surrounded by those kind of people and people like, and there were some people who had been doing that for years. And so... I would just start thinking to myself, is this going to be me? Like, am I going to be like, oh, yeah, like I had wanted to pursue medicine, but, you know, it never happened. And so right. I've been here. And so I kind of just started like wrapping my self-worth and my self-identity in, um, in, in the job. Right. And I was like, this is like, this is me. Like I, I, I failed, you know. And I had to work through those feelings and kind of get to a place where I separated who I was and my self-worth from just a job that I was doing, you know? Yeah. And then I had to believe in myself, even if no one believed in me. Um, and with all of that in mind, um, applied to the post buy program and then got in, thank God. Um, so yeah. You, so you're in this postback program and it's what, 18 months, two years? It's no, it's, it's 12 months actually. Oh, 12 months. So you're in there, you're taking these master's courses for people who are trying to position themselves for medical school and you get in there and you do a really awesome job. They're impressed with you and they invite you to interview for the medical school. So like, what's, what's going through your head in this moment? And like, how did you go about prepping for that interview? And 
how was it when you inevitably kind of got that call that or email, I don't know, where you found out that you got in? <laughs> okay, so um, they they were actually offering interviews on like a rolling basis. And so there was a rumor going around that like the people who got interview offered interviews earlier, like those were the students that they really wanted or whatever. <laughs> so, so, so it was like, or yeah, like, yeah, those were the students that they really wanted. Or like, if you didn't get an interview by a certain month, that means you weren't going to get one. So it was like, um, I think our program ended like April of the, the, um, the next year. And so it was like, I think March and I hadn't heard anything in terms of like, you've been offered an interview and I was just freaking out. I was like calling my mom crying. I was like, I blew it like they're just not no like there's no way for me like I thought this was my chance but like I didn't get in blah 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 and you know how moms are she's very comforting she's like no my god would not allow that to happen blah 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 so mom (laughs) so um I think like a week later I got the interview offer um and you know, I prepared as best as I could, like having talked to like a couple of the students who had interviewed previously. Um, So there was like an individual interview and then there was a group interview. And um, the group interview was fun because you just kind of um, piggybacked off what of a lot of what a lot of what the other students said. Um, And they asked very like, I don't want to say generic questions, but, um, you know, they asked things like what's professionalism? Um, I think one of the questions was, Um, So having gone to boarding school, how, you know, did you find it kind of easier to like um, to get like acclimated to the way we do things here at um, LECOM? Because they're very much like everything is in order. Like we had to wear like we had to dress up professionally to go to class. There wasn't any like. No (laughs) sweatpants. So they had very strict rules. so, you know, they loved my answer and I was like, yeah, like, I love this. You know, I'm so used to it. It's, it's really built character, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, yeah, I think the interview went well. And um, I think like a month later or so, I got my acceptance letter and I just like dropped to the ground and I was just screaming like, oh, my God. <laughs> so um, I was very happy. I was very like, yeah, it was a dream come true for me. So <clears throat> you're finishing up medical school um, in Erie. And I kind of find this thing, <laughs> find this pattern. I don't think it happens to everybody. I don't think it's specific to me. A lot of people will like observe your air quote success. I use air quotes because I mean, success is kind of interpretive. Uh, but I think a lot of people kind of observe people who have great success. And I think it's just really easy to assume um, everything is always peachy keen, right? Like when you're like things just always kind of work out for her. She's, you know, this brilliant student and she goes to medical school and she makes A's on everything. She's kicking butt in the hospital. Like, and like you and I know there's a lot, there's a lot of nuance and there are a lot of things kind of involved in the day-to-day that people don't see. And so I would love for you to talk a little bit about your time in medical school and um, share a lot of the highs and the victories, right? Because I think those things are inspirational and I think those things are moving and I think those things are impactful. Um, but also kind of sharing about some of the difficult things and some of the lows as well. So people kind of have a more full and well-rounded picture of like what it actually takes in order to 
kind of be in these settings and be in these places and to excel and kind of make it through because there's a lot of fortitude that's kind of needed to make it through a four-year kind of rigorous uh, program in medicine. So I just, I, I, I'd love to hear about the highs and lows and kind of some of the things you were learning throughout. Okay. I think I'll start with the lows. Um, so I think one of the most difficult things about medical school, in my opinion, it's not necessarily the workload. I mean, yes, it's a lot of work and it's difficult material that you're dealing with, but I think you know, as long as you study, you kind of put your head down, like you, sh- you should be fine for the most part. Um, but I think it's so, it can get so isolating and so lonely, um, especially if you do medical school, you know, very far away from your friends and family. And so I, and so I think I had to adjust to that uh, my first kind of couple years at, um, in Erie, um, because it can kind of feel like your life is like at a standstill and everybody's life is, especially, you know, you go on social media, everybody is doing something new. Everybody is kind of moving on with um, their lives. And these are people that you graduated with, right? So at one point you guys were kind of at the same place in your lives. Um, But after a couple of years, you are kind of still in the same place. You still don't got no job. You're still relying, (laughs) you know? You're still relying on your, you know, your loans to like pay for everything. And, you know, these people are traveling. Um, they are kind of moving up in their um, different careers. They are getting engaged or having kids or whatever the case may be, where you're kind of just like, yeah, it's just another exam. We passed another, <laughs> we passed another exam, you know? So it can kind of feel very isolating because even when you go back home, I think there is this distance um, that exists because you're not really in the same, um, you're not occupying the same um, space that they are, right? You guys are not really talking about the same things. Like, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, their jobs and you're just like, yeah, well, you know, that exam I had was like really difficult. And it's like, okay, like, so, you know, and I don't think people really understand, like people understand, like when you say, oh yeah, that college exam was hard, but like, I think studying for a medical school exam is just a different, it's a different thing. It's a different beast. And, and what it means, um, passing it also is, is, is such a different, it means something different than, you know, passing um, a college exam. So it's very hard to sort of explain that to people who aren't in medicine. Um, and so I think that can kind of create another level of, of isolation as well. Yeah, just to add to that, I don't think people like understand like it's a strange feeling and experience to be in your mid or late 20s and to still be in school. Yeah. Right. Because the way education is kind of set up in America, a lot of people go to college when they're 18, 19, 20. Maybe they finish when they're 21, 22, 23. But here we are, mid-20s, late-20s, we're still walking around with a book bag and we're still talking about studying and exams and I'm going to go meet up with my classmates. And so to your point, like when you're going out to these happy hours or when you're kicking it with your friends, they're in a completely different state of mind. They have a job and they have coworkers and they have a manager or, you know, a performance plan and they have clients and if you're not working, it's just a completely different state of mind. And I feel like people have a lot of difficulty connecting with that because it's like, 
when people think of school, they think of undergrad and it's like, exactly. no, you don't understand. I'm not going to frat parties, you know, I'm not just <laughs> kicking it and having fun on camp. I am my tail and I can't explain how difficult it is to you. Cause again, most people don't do medical school or law school or yeah. a PhD. Pro- so it's just, it's difficult to explain and it's exactly feel like you're connecting with people. That's one of the reasons why I'm really grateful for my relationship with you and other students as well. Cause it's like, I don't got to explain stuff to you. You just, you just get it. Right. <laughs> like it's just, it's another level. Yeah. We understand. Uh, so um, yeah. So that's kind of, I guess, one of the, the most difficult parts of, of medical school, just that, that isolation and that, that feeling of, of loneliness. Um, and then also, and I guess this just kind of goes with me being black, but just that I never really know when someone is responding to me in a certain way or treating me a certain way because, you know, that's just kind of who they are and they are in a bad mood or if it's because of how I look, like the color of my skin, you know? And so always kind of, you know, having to ask yourself that question and having to ask yourself, am I crazy? Like, am I imagining things? Like, you know, and I think it just, it makes you second guess yourself. And then you start thinking, should I have spoken up? Should I have said something? Um, But you don't know, and you don't want to speak out of turn. You don't want to jeopardize your already, you know, precarious situation here, right? Um, So you never really know what to, like, how to conduct yourself, I guess, in certain, um, in certain situations. And, um, you know, an example of this is, so we have what it's called away rotations. Um, and this is basically where, so this is your third and fourth year uh, of medical school. You go to, so you're, you're assigned, everyone is assigned a core site for their rotations. Um, so if you go to a different location, you're doing an away rotation, um, so I did that for um, I did that during my third year of of medical school, and um, it was an OB gyn like subspecialty rotation. And I got there and I explained to the resident that hey, I don't really know what I'm doing because I haven't really had like experience in an OB gyn doing an OB gyn rotation at an OB gyn residency. So like you know I appreciate a lot of guidance, a lot of feedback. And she was like, okay. So um, I asked her like how to present a patient. And so this is essentially just you're kind of giving like a, a one minute one liner about the patient that, um, you know, you guys are going to see um, to the attending and the resident. And so she's like, yeah, you just do like, you know, just make sure you say G2P1. And so that just basically means like, OK, this person has been pregnant for like four times and she's had like one live birth and she's had like two abortions, essentially that that one like G2P1 kind of line. Um, so <clears throat> um, so I'm like, OK, so as long as I do that, I'll be fine. She's like, yeah. So the next day comes around and we're rounding like we're so we're seeing our patients and that's how I present. And like I can tell that the attending is not like satisfied with how I present it. So I'm like, okay. I got to do better. So like, I'm like, you know, since she's not giving me really giving me any feedback, I'm just like, you know, trying to observe and see like how other people are presenting. So I can kind of like learn from that and then present that way. So I go a whole week kind of like, um, kind of like, um, 
changing how I present each day and trying to see if like that's a little better. And then um, the second week of my rotation, she um, she comes up to me and she's like, you know, maybe you should consider like, and then she actually sits down with me and like goes through like how I should do it. So um, then, you know, I start doing it like that. Then the next day, like, so the day after she like sits me down and tells me how to do it the right way, um, I get an email that like the dean or director or whatever wants to meet with me um, of like medical affairs or whatever. So I go down to his office and he's like, yeah, so, um, you know, I've heard that you haven't really been performing like how a, um, a fourth year a medical student um, should perform. Yep. So, so I'm just like, exactly. That's literally how I felt. <laughs> so I'm just like, wait. And I'm just like, I'm called. To, no one, I've never been called to the principal's office. I am the seller student. Like I just, this doesn't happen to me. So I'm like, what's, what's happening? So I, my, so I have just been kind of like, it's been building up where I've been feeling like I'm not performing the way I should be. Like the first week that I'm there. So I already feel like I'm going to cry. Um, and so I cry during this, you know, encounter with this man. Um, so I'm like crying and he's just kind of like looking at me and then he's like, so like, how did you, he's like, did you pass your, like your exams? And I'm like, yes, I passed all of my exams because I don't think I would be here if I didn't. What kind of question is that? (laughs) (laughs) You should know you're the dean, like just um so he's basically asking me like so did you pass your like your oh so we we all you take it um an exam after each rotation so i there, it's called they're called shelf exams it's like did you pass your shelf exams i'm like yes yes i also passed that and i was like i don't have a problem with like the medical knowledge um because i've done well on all my like exams i have a high like you know gpa for like for medical school um the problem is I haven't really had a lot of clinical experience, especially in this field. And that's why I decided to do this rotation so I could learn. Um, obviously, I didn't say it in this tone, um, you know. Um, so then he's like, okay, well, you know, meet with me tomorrow or whatever. We'll see how you present. So I meet with him a couple of days later and I like present a patient to him. He's like, he's like, that's how you've been presenting? And I'm like, yes. And he's like, oh, that's fine. Mind you, when I tell my resident that I'm going to meet with this man, she says nothing. No indication of like, oh yeah, like I told him X, Y, Z, you might want to, you know, just kind of like heads up kind of thing. And then when I come back from the meeting, she's asked me nothing about the encounter. And, um, you know, and I'm telling my friends like about this, like my my friends who are in medical school and they're just like, yeah, racist. Like, (laughs) They're just like, yeah, I just like, just because you couldn't present a patient, like that's something they can teach you in like two minutes and you'll be fine. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't. So then it's so, so to me, I'm just like, but when she treats patients who are black and brown, she treats them fine. So for me, it was hard. It's like, no, really? It's actually, it's, it's racism, you know? And so then you're just like, do I like, yeah. So that, I think that's what I mean by you don't really know like why somebody is treating you differently or you're not really sure. Or even if you're sure you want to second guess yourself because you almost can't believe that it's it's happening to you. So, yeah. So um, I think those are the two, like, I guess, lows that stand out um, of 
like in medical school to me. And then highs. Um, so my post-bac program, um, I took an anatomy course and I got like a, I think I got like a B. And then um, I took the same course in medicine. Um, so I'm sorry, in medical school. Um, and I was like, I have, I need to get an A just for my own, like to boost my own confidence. Like I just, I need to get an A. So, um, I took the course, I got an A. So that was really, that was, I don't know. It just made me feel really good. So (laughs) it's a difficult course. It's a nine credit course. So it's like carries the bulk of, of, you know, your GPA that first semester. So, um, because I got an A in that course, like my GPA was like a, like a 3.7, like the first semester. And then I was able to get a scholarship for that. Um, So, and then um, during one of my interviews, actually, um, she was going through my application. She's like, hmm, I see you got a lot of scholarships for medical. So it's like, (laughs) you better get that coin. (laughs) She's like, like, that's good because they don't be handing out scholarships to just anybody. I was like, you're right. So, um, yeah, I think it's, I think um, the highs in medical school were really just proving to myself that I could do it because for a long time, you know, the world and just like, just the different no's I'd gotten had showed me or like, had kind of told me that like, nope, you can't do it. You don't have what it takes. And so to be in medical school and to be getting the grades and not just kind of like passing through medical school, but doing really well in medical school, um, you know, it just kind of affirmed what I'd believed about myself that like, no, I do have what it takes. I am smart enough, you know, to, and I, not even just smart enough, but I do have the discipline that it takes to study and to learn the material and to take the exam. Um, so I think those were kind of the highs for me. And also just the really, you meet some really good people, um, in medicine, um, or in medical school. And I think I really, I really had, like, I've really met some great people in medical school and I don't, honestly, I don't think I could have gotten through medical school without them. They definitely do become like, you know, not your rider dies, but <laughs> <laughs> not that deep. <laughs> <laughs> not that deep, but <laughs> they definitely do become a very important part of your life because they're with you in, you know, some of the most difficult times of your life. So like they are with you shooting in the gym. So they mean a lot to you. That's real. So I'm gonna ask you one more question about medical school and then I'm gonna pivot a little bit. So you match to OBGYN. Um you could tell that's a huge deal. Um, if you could tell people what that is, maybe in a sentence or two, and just kind of talk a little bit about um, how big it is for things to come full circle after applying to 50 programs and getting rejected from all from all of them. And now it's like it's all come down to this moment where like I'm about to graduate, I've matched, like I'm about to walk out the door. I'd like I, I want to hear about that. <laughs> sure. So um I was actually going through my journals and journals like a couple of years back, maybe like 2014, where I'd written like, I'm going to become a doctor one day and, you know, I'm going to do all these amazing things. And then I'm going to go back to Nigeria and I'm going to help out women and all this stuff. And like to see something that you wrote down so many years ago that you maybe halfway believed could happen and to see it actually you know, having the, like, just being so close to that coming true, you know, I think it's just, it's 
the word I can I think of to use is surreal. Like it doesn't feel real that I am at this point in my life, you know, because for so long it just it just feels like like I said, you just it just kind of feels like you're staying in one place, like you're just taking exams every two weeks, you're doing your best on them, and you know, that's kind of the, that's kind of what that's the cycle, taking exams, passing them, taking exams, passing them. And then all of a sudden, you become a fourth-year medical student, and then you have to start um, submitting your applications and applying, and then you start interviewing, and you're like, oh my God. And then, no, and before the interview process, you're like, nobody's going to accept me. It's not possible. They'll hate me. I'll do terrible on my interviews. Like They'll be like, oh my gosh, this girl is so boring. We don't want her here. So... Um, So, and then, you know, you start finishing your interviews and you're just like, wait, I think those people liked me. I like them too. Maybe this could possibly happen. Um, So you start feeling a little bit good about it. And then you submit your rank list. So your rank list is essentially out of all the places that you received interviews at, um, you kind of put them in... um, a hierarchy can, you know, put them in a list in order of like your preference. Um, so I ranked, um, of 16 programs, um, and then, um, submitted my rank list. That was February 3rd, right? I forget the date now. Um, so yeah, you submit your rank list and then, um, it enters this system called the match. And it's this algorithm that essentially, um, matches you with a program that has also ranked you, um, you know, ranked you in their own rank list. So let's say if a program has like five spots and you rank them number one and they rank you, you know, from one through five, you, the chances of you matching at that program is like 100% because they have a spot and you put them number one. So you're going to rank, you're going to match at that program. So that's, that's kind of how, at least in my head, um, that's kind of how I explain that. So, um, yeah, so I matched, I matched OB-GYN and, um, the, you know, before I applied, I remember like going to my advisor and kind of showing her my step scores and she was like, um, you know, my step one rather, um, scores, um, cause you have to take two step exams before we apply. Um, so she was like, I mean, your step one score doesn't, she's like, the door is open, but like, it's kind of, it's a jar, right? It's not like wide open for these, um, OB-GYN programs, but she's like, but you know, you should still apply. I would maybe have like a backup program, like a backup specialty, um, so usually they tell you to have like a family medicine or internal medicine because those are less competitive because there are just more seats, right? There's more spots for those programs. So I was like, no, I, I'm doing ob or I'm just not doing anything else. I just, I can't be any other kind of doctor. Um, it wouldn't be as fulfilling. So I just applied ob and I did much better on my step two exam, so I felt more confident about like applying just OB-GYN. And then I did, I prayed a lot. Um, so so um, yeah, so I applied, ranked, sent my rank list, and then found out. Um, so then you find out you match like the, um, like March 15th, and then you find out where you matched um, March 19th. So um, March 15th, I was just like, okay, I can breathe. Like, I know I have a spot somewhere. More importantly, I know I have a job after, like, I graduate from medical school. So that's real. (laughs) You want to be unemployed. (laughs) Like, let's be real here. Um, 
So, yeah, and then March 19th, when I found out um, I matched. So um, the, I matched my third, um, the third program that I put. And I adored the program. I loved, I loved it during my interview. I loved what they had to offer me, but I just didn't want to live in that location. So, um, but I, I knew that out of all the other kind of interviews I'd had, it was kind of my best shot at like pursuing um, like a fellowship if I chose to. So that's just more training in a subspecialty of OB-GYN. Um, so that's why I put that as number three. But I was so sure I was going to get my number one choice because, you know, they had um, sent me an email and they wanted to meet me to meet with like the chairwoman like after my interview. Um, and she was like, so during the, during the meeting, she was like, yeah, like we really liked you during your interview. We'd really like to have you here, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, yeah, like you guys are my number one choice, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then I actually, and then I sent in like, um, they call them love letters. It's basically you sending in a letter of, um, not a letter of interest, but a letter of intent saying like, I'm ranking you first. These are all the things I love about you. Please love me back, essentially. And so I sent that in to I can them. get into that. You know, got to be forward. Tell them what you want, you know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You are basically putting your cards out on the table, all of them. So I did all that. And then I just was like shocked when I found out where I was like, no, how how could this have happened? Like I did all the things. They also loved me back. They said they wanted me. Dang, they hearted your message and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so it was such a huge shock. And of course, of course, you know, you don't want to bring down the people who are ecstatic that they matched at their number one choice or, you know, and you, you don't fit in with the people who didn't match at all. Right. So you're just kind of in your like, I'm grateful I matched, but like, also, I'm just really sad that I matched at where I matched, you know, and so it kind of feels like you've lost something. Um, and you kind of have to work, work through those feelings for a couple of days, but then, you know, you're like, you know what, you know, it, it has to be meant to be, um, because, you know, you did all the right things. There really isn't anything you could have done differently. So for some reason that you can't see, this has to be kind of where you're supposed to end up. So, um, hopefully you get to that place sooner rather than later. And you're able to enjoy kind of the feeling of just knowing that you're matched and you're going to have a job next year. So, yeah. So that's kind of how that, that process works. That story really warmed my heart. Like, real, bro. <laughs> like, I, and I know I mentioned this. I was on my Facebook and um, I was on Twitter. So I have a, like an academic Twitter. So I was on Twitter and seeing all these people matching on Instagram, seeing all these people matching on Facebook, seeing all these people matching. And of course, I'm black. So I end up following a lot of black people and a lot of black people follow me. So I'm just seeing this flood of like black medical students, like photos and tears and videos. And I'm like, I didn't know how much that meant to me until that specific moment. I'm like, I'm legitimately like moved by seeing all these black physicians, yeah. but in all this time and all this energy and all this effort. And obviously I'm not a physician, but like, I know how hard people have worked just to get up to that point and to see like doors are continuing to open. And it's, just know that means a lot to me and I'm sure it means a lot to other people as well. Like, um, we're kind of tight on time. I have a lot of other questions for you, but we're kind of tight on time. Are there one or two other things you want to share with people before we call it a day? 
Hmm. Let's see. Not to put you on the spot. <laughs> um, wait, you don't have any more questions for me, right? Um, talk in theory, no. <laughs> well, yes and no. Not, well, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> this is basically the end. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Well, I guess for people who want to pursue a career in medicine, I would say... Um, a lot of times um, people, when you fail at something, the advice people give you is, well, try something else or do something, do something else. And maybe sometimes that's the answer, right? Um, I think you should look at it on a case-by-case basis, like how many times have they, have they tried to do that specific thing and you know, have they failed? But I think the first time someone fails at something, the um, advice shouldn't be, will do something else because clearly this is not for you. I think it should be, well, what other steps can you take to kind of get to where you want to go? Like, what can you do differently? How can we reorganize, um, you know, what you've already done so that we can make sure that you end up where you're supposed to be? And, um, you know, I think throughout my journey, um, you know, from undergrad to getting into medical school and kind of being where I am right now, that was not the feedback I received. It was a lot of like, well, just do something else, you know? And it it took me, I think, believing in myself and also the people around me kind of telling me, you know, having faith that like, no, there are other, you know, and especially people who have kind of done, lived through medical school residency and kind of know how the process works. Um, but I'm saying, you know what, I, I really do believe that if you put your best foot forward and if you kind of do things differently and if you, um, you know, improve in, in this way, even if you don't have the best scores or whatever, but you really show out in this, in this area, you really will be able to achieve the goal that you want to achieve. And so I think, yeah, when people just tell you no or do something differently, I think, you need to have enough belief in yourself to be like, you know what, how can I do this differently to get to where I want to go? That's one of the reasons why I really like doing these spotlights, because I think society at large kind of sees people doing a PhD or in law school or medicine, you know, all these other kind of fields that are super selective and try and keep all these people out. And I think people need to realize if you're interested in going the distance for a lot of these occupations, you got to be okay with like trying more than once because more than likely you're going to have a lot of failures along the way as well. And I think even just kind of redefining and reorienting the way we think of failure, it's like, this is a necessary part of the process. Like we all spend at least a little bit of time on our face but that doesn't necessarily mean there's something wrong. It's just part of the process. You got to put in your time. You got to put in your dues. We all take L's sometimes. And if you got really high standards, it means you're probably going to take more L's, but that doesn't mean there's something wrong. It's just kind of an inherent feature of the process and you got to be okay with that. Uh, But thanks so much for making time to do this. I feel like I enjoy all of our conversations. I feel like we connect really well and vibe on a lot of things. You've been a great social support to me and hopefully I've been a social support to you as well if you've done this crazy thing called medical school. (laughs) Yes, I agree. Um, I mean, even when I I called you to talk about like OB-GYN stuff and like how you think about like, you know, abortion and that was just, it was just good to have somebody to like run like run my thoughts like through. So 
I definitely appreciate you as kind of like a sounding board in that way. Thank you.